This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. Welcome, Digital Wildcatters, to another episode of Oil and Gas Startups here in Denver with my good buddy and part-time co-host, Jeremy Funk. What's up, Jeremy? What's up, Colin? How you doing, man? And I'm doing good. Doing good. And I see you enjoying that beer over there. I'm just drinking water right now, but you can believe, you can bet that I'm about to go in there and have some beer and talk to all the fine folks that are <laughs> at Rock Bottom Brewery for the Energy Tech Showcase. Bring the funk with you. <laughs> <laughs> I like the pun. <laughs> so with us today, we have Rob Rachinsky. Did I pronounce yes. that pronoun? Perfect. I like man, it. I like it. And you are CEO, founder of Engage Mobilize. How are you doing, man? Doing awesome. Good to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you here. So let's start off by you giving us a quick overview of what you guys are doing at Engage Mobilize. Awesome. Disrupting the industry to start with. 3,000 foot view, we've developed a pretty cool application. It's made up of four tiers. First tier is set up for your oil and gas operator, your EMP, your, you know, the, the exons of the world. Not a client, but shooting for that soon. Second tier, uh, we built an application for managing dispatch and field ticketing for the service contractor themselves. So this is, this is anybody from a mom and pop that owns one welding truck to a wireline guy who's dispatching one crew all the way up to the Halliburton's of the world. Third tier, that is actually those, those guys in the field, those wireline crews. They're going to have access to a mobile application on a tablet, most of the time just their smart device where they're going to run and collect all that data on the edge that we need to complete a financial transaction. Four tier that, we, we find in a lot of these transactions, there's a third or fourth wheel that can be a recycle, a disposal, a dump, a landfill. Going internally into your own midstream pipeline, they also require the same data to complete a transaction, and we've given them a portal as well. So what we have is everybody kind of sitting under one house, one application, able to access their crews, their LOE spend, their capital spend all in real time and get that back, get that back flowing to accounting in real time. Very cool. Yeah, this is a problem I'm very familiar with as a service hand. I mean, they're filling up, you know, filling out field tickets by hand with pen and paper or, you know, for like real high ticket or, you know, high high tech doing it on Excel. And then I'd have a mobile printer with me and print it out. And yeah, <laughs> and I was like, you know how frustrating it is when you're a field hand and you're forward thinking and you're like, man, why the fuck am I doing it like this? <laughs> yeah. I just like to get home for dinner and now I'm going to sit here and fill out paperwork. Yep. So, okay, cool, man. So now that we have kind of an idea of what you're working on, tell me a little bit about your background and are you, are you from Houston originally? Not, but grew up a little bit out in Katy from Canada, the deep, deep north in Edmonton, actually north of Edmonton. We call it Fox Vegas. Fox Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> it had one gas Conor station. McGregor. <laughs> Conor, Conor McDavid. <laughs> I like going more, you know, it's more of a the X-Men theme. I'm more like Wolverine. <laughs> but no, from the deep north, left, moved to Houston when I was a kid, got lugged all over the world by my father. He was Amico and then BP, so spent time internationally. Africa, Middle East, Scotland, saw, saw, saw a lot of that. And then went to college and said, I would never work in oil and gas. <laughs> and of course, ended up studying economics in Canada, got out and realized that all the awesome jobs were actually in our industry. And that I had like made some inroads during my, my, my 
childhood with a lot of those people. So ended up breaking out as a financial analyst for APC in the early 2000s. Worked in the planning and BD departments and saw a lot of how that world sort of transacted, Wall Street communications and such, and then made a huge step change. Left Anandarko to go work for my father's company, which was a drilling consulting company, and went from that top floor with a VP straight into a doghouse. I didn't even know what the doghouse was and kind of jumped into that. We were doing a lot of efficiency consulting, safety consulting. This is kind of back in the mid-2000s where there wasn't a whole bunch of these companies doing that. We were kind of one of the newer companies that was putting people on location that didn't work as the company man, didn't work as the push, if you will. Did that for a number of years. We did really well. The rigs tipped over and my co-founders and myself looked at, you know, at what we had learned, I guess, in that situation and said, these guys, to your point, that were so frustrated with having to fill out all of this paperwork, sit in their trucks that are, you know, their F-350s are idling diesel for 22 hours a day. What, you know, why are we doing that? There just had to be a better way. And so we took a huge plunge and tried to develop our own technology. And here we are about three years later, just coming up on three years, and we're live in all the major basins and, and making some pretty, pretty heavy waves. So that's, our, no, that's, that's my story. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I remember talking to at a company, com, company in Oklahoma City about six years ago and was demonstrating a field data capture solution on an iPad. And I'll never forget one of the pumpers. He was he was probably about sixty years old. He said, "Man, I don't I don't know how to use that thing. I just I just give it to my eight year old nephew." <laughs> and I'm like, "You see how that's going to be a problem, though, right?" Mm-hmm. So, anyways, as a segue, I'm sure you segue, dealt with a lot I, uh, of that to break these guys into your technology. We we really pride ourselves coming from that consulting background on picking our implementations and field teams based on being able to speak the language. I want to send a wireline guy out to train a wireline crew. I'm not trying to send somebody from Silicon Valley to do that. It's just not going to work. So, you know, operationally for us, a big part of our success is making sure that you have those right guys. The world is changing, however. I mean, you you, you saw in the last downturn, a lot of those six-year-old pumpers have, have, have finally hung up their boots. And, and, and if not, the writing's on the wall. We're digitizing the oil field. And regardless of oil price, I don't believe it's going to stop. Once whether you're the operator or the service providers that own these assets, once you start looking at this data, you can't ever look behind you. Data is addicting. It is. <laughs> you feed more and more data, people want more of it. And I agree with you 100%. You know, so many people talk about, you know, is the adoption of technology or digitalization a byproduct of commodity price? And, you know, I think that when we kind of hit this downturn in 2014, I think that that did play a part in companies looking at how they could be more efficient internally and, you know, leverage digital technology. But now, you know, I don't think that it's tethered to commodity price. You know, companies are going to start looking at it and be like, hey, how can we get more and more data? How can we get more insight? And it's not going to be tethered to what oil or gas prices are. I would agree. I think a huge component of that too is, you know, the millennials are starting to take over. They're in positions mm-hmm. of power. They have their own budgets and they're not looking for guidance anymore. They're they're used to it. They're looking for tech. Exactly. They'd rather have, you know, a tech that got them their bonus than hire six engineers to help them get their bonus and and that really is just, you know. And you're seeing I think you're seeing a trend too where probably previously the CTO role or the CIO role within a large operator wasn't bonused on 
how clean the data was or what did this do to our bottom line? And I think there's that's also transitioning. Mm. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I don't want to beat a dead horse because we talk about this on almost every single podcast episode. Every founder that comes in here talks about the great crew change and just the impact that millennials taking senior level positions has had. And I mean, I think everyone that's in this space can agree that that's the biggest driver for the adoption of technology. You know, just like when I talk about when I'm out in the field and I'm like, man, there's got to be a better way to do this. You're talking about people that, you know, shit, I was a senior in high school when the first iPhone came out. So I've lived the majority of my life with a device that I can have integrated apps and, and nice user interfaces. And this is just what this generation is demanding out of oil and gas. So Yeah. Like imagine being a production lead or someone in the field and purchasing a new software and it's not on a tablet or a mobile device. <laughs> you wouldn't. You, you just wouldn't. The thing about that is, I mean, the most challenging piece of oil and gas is the telecommunications obviously coming out of the field, right? So obviously there's steps are being taken to set up private networks, 4G, what have LTE networks out there. But, you know, we had to look quickly at a few contracts that we lost early on and say, well, this wasn't going to work unless we could capture data in the middle of the Marcellus where you drive off the freeway and you might as well be dead to the world. So how do you do that? We basically are going to capture it within the device and it goes both ways. So as we push jobs to a wireline crew or a water hauler, what have you, Google will sync all that information to the device, whether it's the mapping and you actually don't need to from a timing or geolocation standpoint, we're able to breadcrumb when there isn't so-called service, right? You can't see that your phone is still connected, but it truly is. You can't maybe send a text, you can't maybe get on a call, but your phone, Google still knows where you're at. And so we're still going to capture all that data. And when they go back to complete whatever that work order, that field ticket, whatever that is, JSA, what have you, we're going to just sync that back. So that's actually news to me. I mean, you know, I wouldn't think that the device was connected, but it makes sense if it does have, you know, some partial connection that, you know, they're able to, to locate. And these guys are driving in and out of dead spots. So they're sinking, you know, you're still going to get way more data out there than you've ever seen before, which is going to lead to, you know, then you start talking, you know, that lone worker situation or just getting a good feel for where everybody's at, if they're safe and, and it, <laughs> What they're actually doing. Let's just say that it's not just oil and gas locations that are on our application being what we call geofencing. They're geofencing all kinds of locations where they want to make sure that sometimes their employees are not at. So, you know, there is a huge big brother component to this. Sure. But if it's not engaged mobilized, it's gonna be somebody else. This isn't gonna this isn't something that's gonna go away. It mm-hmm. exists in a ton of other industries, if not all, <laughs> and it's just something that's that's coming for us. Just this is a little bit off topic, but my mind's kind of on it. You know, you talk about the communication and data transfer issues that we face out in the field. And obviously this is something that's, you know, progressing over the last few years. What's your take on, you know, do you see mesh networks coming into play in oil and gas soon to where that's, you know, really creating a network where we can have more real-time data? You know, maybe you have some insight on that that, that I don't. Yeah, I mean, I think... From what I've seen, there's some things happening behind the scenes that people aren't even aware of. I know due to the capacity restrictions on the lines coming out of the Permian right now, getting data back to Houston is virtually impossible. Whether you are right on service or not, some of those bigger telecom companies are actually having to send armored cars with servers to capture it 
out there in location because they can't get it back. They can't get it back just based on capacity. And it, you mean you can lay fiber, you know, it's the same as midstream. You can lay it constantly, but you're not keeping up because the amount of data that we're producing, and it, it can be drilling completions, production, construction. It doesn't really matter in our industry, but it's growing by tenfold every month. Mm-hmm. And and people to our, you know, to this conversation, people are expecting it now. They expect to do their job. They want to see the live frac data and they need it to be successful and to be pertinent if you're going to drill right inside somebody like Pioneer's Acreage, right? So it's a really a competitive advantage, but I agree. I mean, they're going to have to start setting up smashes, those privates, mm-hmm. and start paying for it, truly, right? Start investing. That's what, you know, I don't, I don't know where we are where we're at in the process of EMPs actually investing in that infrastructure. But when you think of infrastructure, you know, you're thinking of pipelines, processing facilities, things like that. But, you know, sooner or later, part of that equation is going to have to be data transfer and, and communication. So one thing that, you know, Jake and I talk about this a lot, like on our wells, our wells up in Oklahoma are in a complete dead spot. You know, you can't make a phone call or text, but I have seen some some mesh network technology. I haven't heard that companies are sending armored vehicles out with servers. That's pretty. <laughs> that's pretty wild. <laughs> I'm not going to comment how I know that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that seems. That, I mean, that but just look seems. It up. <laughs> yeah, but look it up. <laughs> well, look, Jake. Jake skipped this trip, so he obviously doesn't care about this. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Rob. So, so good question for you. If you were to look at a company and say, this is, this is the perfect type of, of company for me. Would it be the, the Exxon Mobil, the, the larger operator, or would it be someone who says, Hey, we're in this one basin. We're small. We want to be nimble. Let's rock and roll. Or is it everyone? For us, where we're at with our company right now, that, that, that median size EMP that has direction from their CEO that this is happening and that they have the IT resources to back up a setup of this type. We do require some pretty heavy duty buy-in from a number of the players within an organization. You know, we're dealing with, usually we start with ops, obviously, because they understand the problem. They're out in the field. They know that this is just wasting a lot of time. But the second piece of that is IT security. And then you talk about moving this data back to accounting and then into the data analytics groups or the, you know, in some cases now, yeah, they, they, the venture groups are getting involved or the innovation groups. So the sales cycle is long, but it's because it, there's just a lot of people that are stakeholders, but we need those stakeholders to exist. So it's tough for us to roll out a private that doesn't believe that they have the resources. We can support it on our end. It's just a little bit more expensive for them versus somebody who's budgeted for it, really. Yeah, and that, that makes a lot of sense to me because you're talking about a shift in strategy. A company has to have a mobile strategy. That's a must. And certainly with your consulting background, that's something you can probably usher in with a software solution to complement it. The question I had, just given my background on the field data capture side with lease operators, do you work with production groups as well? Actually, absolutely. About 70% of the data moving on our application is on the production side. Being a drilling guy, we built this for the company men and the pushes, but they will be the last to adopt. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of production data. We actually do have the lease operators that are also running our mobile application. You'll have companies that will get away from the ELDs in their trucks to just simply have that company phone being tracked. 
And then we were able to use the data to optimize their workflows as well. You'd be surprised how awesome it is for a lease operator to say, I've been trying to run in to so-and-so for the last three weeks on one of my locations. I can't find this guy. I can go into my app. I can see exactly where he's driving, where he's at. I know he's going to be at this well site in 10 minutes. I'm going to go talk to him. And it's, it really speeds up communication, even if it is the verbal communication. So having those lease ops involved is a big piece of this as well. But they're, I mean, they're loving it. They love being able to communicate through it. We talked about this in our previous episode with Peter about just the efficiency in communication. And, you know, we're talking about the long email chains that happen throughout oil and gas operations. And just like you brought up, you know, if people are trying to, you know, catch each other out in the field. And it's something that a lot of people don't think about, but it's just the inefficiency of communication that we have in oil and gas and improving those workflows to where, you know, you can actually focus on your job and get, get things get done. Get things done and get them done in a safer manner. I mean, I, you know, I, being a drilling guy as well, I, I really saw this as, as a safety thing. I would say, sadly, that isn't the buying point for this application. But I will say that compliance is, you're seeing, I always use the example, we hate to forecast it, but at some point in Oklahoma, something's going to fall down. And people are going to get in trouble. And having an application that points out exactly where their produced water was dropped off and something that's auditable in a, you know, a metadata set is going to change the way those lawsuits shape up. Because you'll have, and we all know this, 15 years ago, you guys, had, you guys dumping the water in the ditch. They weren't even making it to disposal because they were in cahoots, right? So nowadays it's like I need to get validation that this is where my water went. It was not dropped into the Arbuckle. And, you know, we see contracts come through that are not just based on the operation side, but really coming through the regulatory and compliance budgets, because that's a, that's on top of mind for the CEOs. They're going to be the ones taking the fall. <laughs> yeah. When you're the CEO of an operation, it doesn't matter who or, or what's going on underneath. You're the one that takes the fall for it. So, yeah, absolutely. So you guys have been at this for three years now. Why hasn't someone done this before? Because it's a pretty self-explanatory problem that, you know, has quote unquote easy solution. It's not an easy solution, but you know, on surface level it is. I think companies have tried and I think consulting organizations in particular or mobility organizations have tried, but I think what Rob's doing is combining the oil and gas specialty with the mobility expertise and starting by actually talking to the people in the field versus the people in the back office. Yeah. We spent a lot of time driving around with crews when we went into beta, which was in Oklahoma initially. But I will say too, that our approach has been different. There are, you know, some of the operators have tried to do this, but essentially what they're doing is they're, they're kind of titling themselves, right? Like not only is this not what they're good at, and it takes way too long, and every engineer that's with them thinks that they have a better idea of how this should work, and they're better at the field, and you know, all that is fine. But people have been doing this, and there's a lot of companies out there that because of how hard the operator side is, they built it for the service side. So when you're talking the ELD tracking, the these guys on the other side, they're already collecting the data. They just weren't ever sharing it. So what we aim to do, which was a much harder sell, was – go and head for those medium-sized operators and say, don't try to do this in-house, Chesapeake. Don't try to do this. Do this. Let us be agile. You tell us what is working and not working with the integrations, with, with what you're seeing, what you're hearing coming from your lease operators. And, and that's really been, I think there was a tipping point. There was just a lot of 
proof of concepts done or like a lot of people tried this and nobody ever really got paid for it. And, you know, we're one of the, Correct. F- <laughs> yeah, you know, we're one of the first to kind of tip that balance. We're getting paid by the operators and they're moving us into their other basins and they're seeing the value because we're both taking time to run the analytics on the data and we're helping each other with that data, that new data. It's all new to them. So this is something that we talked about previously with Peter in that last episode too, was oil companies, you know, trying to build out technological solutions themselves instead of focus what you're good at producing oil and gas and let the tech company build the tech. And then, you know, you can remain agile and build it to their needs. Totally. And, and mobility would strike you as something that should be so easy because we all have phones. So it should just be so accessible, right? We can just track it in our notes or, or in a text message or <laughs> whatever we need. But it's actually one of the more complex and hardest things to do, especially when you overlay machine learning and AI, which I know you guys are doing. I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, there's a lot of talk about what are we going to do with this data that we're collecting out on the edge. And, you know, we and I will be, you know, I'll be perfectly candid here. We're just scratching the surface. We're just starting to collect these, you know, hundreds of thousands of millions of data points on when these new lease roads are built. Like, there was no way that Google was ever going to keep up with with tracking that, right, Or, or trying to capture that. We have the boots on the ground, right? So when you talk about road optimization or... You know, a lot of what we do is, I won't call it AI or MI, I'll call it algebra in the sense that <laughs> we are, we're, we're taking, you know, we're taking the data that the operators already had, automation data, you know, their SCADA, whatever, and we're just simply twisting that into an algorithm that is going to predict all of this work. I mean, we, everything we do in oil and gas is repeatable, right? We're, we're trying to drill a hole, we're trying to construct a pad, drill a hole, complete it, get it to production, get it to midstream, get it to the gas station, so... You, when you start actually, though, combining a lot of those data points that were previously collected on paper, I think we're going to be able to do some pretty cool stuff. And there's people that are really excited about, you know, really solving that traveling salesman pro- problem out there because we have thousands of people moving around constantly and traffic jams and railroads and you can't go on that guy's property, but you can go on that guy's property. And, you know, we're just starting to get there. So, Are people leveraging your solution in operation centers and control centers to track movement in real time? Absolutely. That's exactly sort of the first tier of the platform. So the engineers are simply pulling the data into their dashboard, you know, to see, I want to compare a like service contractor. I have 10 wireline crews. I've 10 companies, whatever, that's what they're using it for. But it's really the OCCs, the IOCs, the ROCs that have this up on the big screen and are watching all the behavior and all the movement of the crews. That's cool. I have to ask you, since we're talking about machine learning or artificial intelligence, what's your thoughts on blockchain? Because when I think about a platform like this, I think heavily about blockchain and allowing you know these multiple parties to interface with each other without you know exposing any proprietary data. Is that something that you guys have any interest in in the future, you know, or what are your thoughts on it as a whole? Just an absolutely great question. I will be speaking at a blockchain conference, smart contracts conference next week. We, okay, so you know a little bit about it? We're, you know, <laughs> my, my, my thing on this is like, you know, we, we need to take steps to get there, right? Yeah. And the first step is designing a platform like ours where you're sharing data that you both trust. And that has been the barrier to entry for this is – there was no way that Halliburton ever wanted to like get together with Exxon and build something like this. They were just going to build it in silos, right? So when I talk about this and when when we when we think about it, I don't, you know, I see that in our future, 
I see it a little distant because what I'm seeing already with our platform is not private blocks being set up. I'm seeing just contract changes and long-term procurement strategies change based on data. You don't have to set up a block. However, if I know, I always use production chemicals as an example. If I know that a, a, a guy entered my location, why don't just pay the man? Because we're never auditing the data anyway. Like, what, are we going to check on our thousands of production chemical jobs per week? We're just not, right? So what we're seeing now is what we're calling, you know, within our system, just a, a new strategy on transacting. So if I'm, if I'm a, you know, I'm the guy treating with the chemicals and I strike a deal and say, look, we both agree that if Engage says that my tech was on location, pay on it. And you pay me every 70 days right now. What, you know, what if, what if you're one of these large operators and go, what if I paid you net zero? What is the discount? You know, how are we going to factor that back? What's the discount on that LOE? And that's what we're seeing. We're not seeing blockchain yet, but we're seeing contract changes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I like what you, you know, you bring up, and I tell this to people a lot too, you know, not just blockchain, but when we're talking about machine learning or any deep analytics, I'm like, we got some, we got some baby steps that we got to take before we get to get to those places because we don't even have these, these platforms set up and integrated within all these companies where we're capturing this data and managing this data to then leverage into new technologies. So yeah, that's, but you know, that's, really interesting and i think that you know we are seeing like companies like data gumbo in the space that are really focusing on on smart contracts and it's not so much the transfer of data and blocks like you said but it is it's really just some rudimentary problems of like hey how about we have some smart contracts set up where we can execute quick and instead of net 90 we're paying you know any anything better than net 90. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up Andrew and data gumbo. Cause for anybody listening, we are looking for a mutual client who wants to do this. Oh, are you For right now? If somebody is wanting to go that direction, we've kind of set up a strategic alliance with data gumbo and those folks are great. And we're still pressing to find somebody that wants to take the engaged data and cram it into one of Andrew's blocks and see really how this is going to shake out. Very and I know cool. he's having, he's having success, you know, in, in other industries right now, but yeah, We'd like somebody to take that plunge, and Andrew will tell you it's not hard to set up. It's just about creating that one sense of truth and that trust. We have to find that data on the edge that we trust and that we can push into push into the system. That's very interesting. Yeah, we'll have to talk some more about that. Yeah, Data Gumbo is right next door to me. Oh, really? Uh, at the office, yeah. yeah so yeah. I know I know the whole Data Gumbo team yeah. really Great well. Name. Great name. That's amazing, right? <laughs> Makes you hungry, we huh? Change it. We were going to change ours to Engage Gumbo, but we didn't. <laughs> Had that much of a <laughs> persuasion on you. Gumbo mobilized. It just doesn't roll off it the tongue. There. It's not as like, oh, I love it. Yeah. So do you have any other co-founders at the company or is it is it just you? Tell us a little bit about the team. Yeah, absolutely. Start with my father as a co-founder. He's our CEO. He's running the field implementation side. So he's run as a consultant in the field for a long time. And he manages uh, those guys who are out, uh, you know, boots on the ground. My other co-founder, is, his name's Jeremiah Henson. He was actually a drilling consultant for us previous uh, with our with our past company. By trade, though, he was a mechanical engineer. Worked for NASA actually before he worked for for our boutique consulting firm. Great guy. He 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 runs our product team right now, and has been super instrumental in keeping it simple. He has a very military mind focus, and you know, very task oriented. We we want to keep this in a space where. We don't. It's not so hard to train, and we don't. We don't go twenty-eight different directions, and I think that's been a big part of our success. Mm-hmm. 
having that, that different approach to getting projects done and very sensible on, on that front for sure. For me being the sales guy, I just say yes to everything. <laughs> <laughs> Good boy. <laughs> yeah, it's always, you know, it's interesting when you talk to any tech startup founders because you have the guys that come from oil and gas background, you know, like yourself and, and your father that, you know, were out there yeah, Scott, and, yeah. Yeah, in, in the doghouse and, you know, you came up with the solutions to create some of the problem or to fix some of the problems that you saw. And then on the other, on the other hand, you have some of the more uh, Silicon Valley types that, you know, came from the software space and worked their way into oil and gas. So, you know, me being a field hand, I like hearing the stories of the guys that were out there on the drilling rigs and, you know, came up with the, with the solutions. So how did you guys go about, you know, with the technology that you guys have built out, you know, how did you guys go about developing that was, did you bring in-house developers? Did you guys, you know, I'm assuming you didn't sit down and code this all yourself. No, no, there was no, there was no coding done by any of the founders. No, actually. Which, um, which is kind of, I mean, that that's an outlier. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, you know, typically you have a technical co-founder that's, uh, you know, has the ability to develop and, and build the product. So yeah, I'm interested Jared, to hear about Jared that. Jared learned, he learned the backend stuff on the fly. He's, he's pretty, he's pretty good in the, in the MySQL space at this point, but we initially had some pretty heavy hitting advisors send out some RFPs overseas for us and write them up for us, draw them out. We basically, we knew what we wanted. We then flew, flew to meet our, our new dev team over in India and spent, spent a couple of weeks with them Kind of explaining, obviously not what their job was about to be, but explaining the work process mm-hmm. that we were trying to build out here. Currently, though, we brought a lot of that work back. You know, we never let any of the database be housed offshore, but from the coding perspective, we now have some in-house developers, in-house interns, you know, all that good stuff that are here. So, in a sense, it's good because we we do still have some work being done in India. But that just gives you 24-hour clock, right? We got mm-hmm. our guys working during the day here. We got them working during the nights. And yeah, be coding, building around the clock. Yeah, and, you know, they, they're really good in the mobile space. It's tough here in the U.S. unless you're going to pay through the nose to find people that are good mm-hmm. on the Android, iOS side. So that's mm-hmm. what we kind of rely on them for. Very cool. So how is market adoption for, for you guys, you know, in the three years, you know, that takes us back to 2016. So he got started right in the middle of the downturn. Yes. How are you, you know, how is the market kind of receiving this and is it something that's being adopted? It's, I would love to say that the adoption rates are faster, obviously for, for our company, but it is, what I will say is that there isn't a company small or large that's not talking about this. This is, this is top of mind for everybody from, People like BP are trying to develop in-house to your, you know, your your small small PEs coming out of Houston. So, it's it's still scary for some of them. And what I would say is, take the plunge. It doesn't have to be engaged, mobilized. We believe because this is an untapped market that competition for us is good. It'll create more RFPs. It'll create people trying to get in and 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 give this give this a chance. We, you know, the, the, the part about this that, that takes a little bit is, is the actual implementation in the field. So when we walk into these medium-sized oil companies, we're going to be rolling out 150, 200, 300 service contractors for them. So we have a really phased project management approach for that. We get with them and we say, what is, you know, top of mind? What's, what's the bird you want to kill now? And then let's phase that out over a year or two. Let's not just try to bite off the whole elephant, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
You know, it's funny. I think back to 2014, 15, 16, pre and mid downturn, I guess. There were a lot of EMP companies that wanted to go to mobile but didn't really know how to do it. I think we're still sort of in that situation. But what I did see is the companies that created mobile initiatives in those years are now being lauded for doing so and are, are being viewed as a forward thinker within the organization because not much else changed. They're still using the same core accounting and forecasting and production systems. But now all of a sudden we have this mobile initiative and who led that? Well, it was somebody who was forward thinking five years ago. Mm-hmm. But those opportunities still exist today. And I'm, I'm wondering how you navigate with some of the, the climate change when you do get that resistance. You know, for us, it's connecting, you know, from a, if you're talking just from a, a trying to get them to adopt, it's connecting that foreman with another foreman that's been through this with us, connecting that, you know, that IT manager with another IT manager. That's, that's really, you know, where our success lies. And that's the hardest, you know, that's the hardest river to cross is getting that first one and making sure that you don't screw it up. <laughs> that's, I think that's something that's really important that, you know, most people don't think about, you know, getting the first one's hard, but then making sure that, it, that it's a hit. Is, you know, and, they, and the expectation, because yeah. to your point, I mean, they're, they, you have to find the companies that are willing to work with you and work through it because everybody's setup's a little bit different. This has to be a little bit custom for the operators because of the different integrations that are going to be required. But, you know, if you find those teams that are, are forward with thinking, and there's a few companies that are even known within the industry that are, are really looking hard at this. And that's been where our success is, is let's, let's be agile as a team. We'll be your agile team, right? So now when you say that there's some forward thinking companies, I think about like Anadarko getting acquired. Like that's been something I've been talking about a lot on LinkedIn lately because Anadarko is in my experience, one of the most forward thinking companies, you know, they're not a major, but they are, you know, big, yeah, big independent. And they are, dude, I have like companies out of Silicon Valley, you know, contact me and like, Hey, we want to get into oil and gas. You know, we have one client, but we don't really understand much about oil and gas. My like, one client and a Darko. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. that's quite, <laughs> quite the first client to have considering you don't Good know anything start. about oil and gas. So, you know, is that, Let's kind of talk about that topic a little bit and, and what you're, you know, what you're, what you're thinking is moving forward because it seems like there's going to be some consolidation in the EMP space here in the next, you know, year, two years, maybe even more. Do you think that changes the way that technology is adopted or does it help? I think, you know, I yet to be known. I will make a comment about Anadarko though. Jose Silva, who runs their innovation team over there, is. He's kind of a superstar within sort of that that niche, those innovation groups, those venture groups that mm-hmm. are pushing out, getting really connected. You know, he's connected to Silicon Valley, but I know a ton of startups that that's kind of where it started for them. And that was, that's what I was kind of referring to is you need to have ecosystem within those companies. You really have to hope that with, what you know, it's Oxy today. It could be Chevron in four days. <laughs> Who knows? Know. But, you know, we really have to hope that, that it doesn't disrupt you know, we've been in talks with Chevron for a long time, and with companies like that, it's 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 it, they're looking just as hard to adopt. They're not going to be they're they're going to be the, the the first followers, right? Mm-hmm. And I and I hope that doesn't slow the landscape. You know, I would comment on the fact that people have tried to do this internally and believe because we are Chevron Exxon that we have these massive budgets and we might, we can go hire our own 
And and truly, uh, you know, where 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 <laughs> you're not going to be able to convince the service contractors to do it just for you. And that's the key to all of this. They're more and and so when I say to my other co-founders that are in my space in this space, we're going to have to integrate together. It'd be awesome to say that we're all just we're going to become the Uber and then somebody competes like Lyft. But in reality, there's other solutions, and we're just going to have to share the data and share our clients. And and that's that's the message I send because it's tr- for this to transformation to happen, we're just going to have to share. I think that's one of the biggest come to Jesus meetings in oil and gas that's currently happening right now. And even look at it like with the the blockchain consortium that's in Houston, mm-hmm. where you have operators getting together, and you know. That shows me where the industry's moving. They're like, hey, we're having to put our heads together and figure out how are we going to attack this together. You know, we all have to share share data, share insight to actually progress and move forward. And I think, you know, not just regarding blockchain, but any technology, you know, there's never going to be an end-to-end solution for everything. It's going to be a basket of solutions that are used and you know, all the companies are going to have to come together and, and work together and share data to at the end of the day, solve the problems that oil and gas has. Yeah, and I think that goes back to your comment about we're, we're kind of starting to, to lump blocks together. But, you know, with, with that consortium and amazing group of people that are running that, you know, my comment always was, where are the trucking companies? Where Why is Halliburton not on this board? Why is Slumberjay not on this board? And I think that's going to have to be the next step. Is mm-hmm. It's not just about, okay, we as Equinor and Chevron, we can all figure this out. It's going to be, how are we figuring this out on the other side? Because these are the people that are getting paid, right? It it has to start with the operator. Well, I think that's one of the most interesting things about you guys, though, is that you're building product for both sides, right? So it's not just a, yeah, I I think that's something unique. You know, when I asked you earlier, why has no one else done this? The other people that I have seen in the space are always on one side or the other, but Mm -hmm. you guys are actually building out for both sides. You have to. And to us, we actually see the adoption rates coming from, well, if I get to do this for so-and-so, why don't I get to do it for them? I'm going to introduce you to my production manager over here because that's who I need to, like, can't we just digitize every transact digitally with all of it? And, and so we do see a lot of push up from our non-paying clients, if that yeah. makes sense. Well, I have one more question for yeah. you. Were you. One more question, on? yeah. Yeah, we got, I got one more question too. It's a quick one. Go ahead. Um, no, no, you go ahead first. I'll, I'll so, so, Rob, here we are at the Energy Tech Showcase, right? There's 34-some-odd booths. No joke, there's probably six or seven mobile vendors. Mm-hmm. I like you. I like your offering. I'm a mid-sized operator. Why do I pick Engage Mobilize? Ooh, putting them on the hot I like seat. it, and I love talking about the Denver Showcase. We got our first client here three years ago. So. Wow, nice. <laughs> there's a good plug. <laughs> yeah, love Jim, love what they're doing here. Um, I think more of these need to exist across Dallas, Houston. But I think you're picking our team, and I really go back to the fact that we've been successful because there's bumps in the roads, but we know how to handle it at the field level. And that's the important part is making sure that those guys get by and you're, you're not going to get engineers that make the decision or supply chain managers make decisions. They're just going to cut the cord. But if they get a lot of bugs in their ear that it's not working, that's where you, you get into trouble. So. Absolutely. Me and Jake were driving around West Texas a couple of weeks ago, went back home, visit some family. I took Jake with me and we we're just talking, you know, driving out there. It's like, 
And when you're creating these products, you have to be out there in the field, just, you know, boots on the ground, hearing the feedback. And because you don't see a lot of these companies, no offense to any of them, putting together strong operations teams. Yep. And we, you know, that's our message to our investment community. That's our message to our clients. You know, I'm not a software guy. Either is he, either is he. We're here because you guys can trust that we're not going to disrupt the everyday workflow of your guys that you depend on, right, to to get that oil out of the ground. So. Yep. Absolutely. Before we wrap this up, you guys are in the process. You're about to do Series A, correct? Yes, sir. Okay, so we got lo- got lots of investors that listen to this show. Can they reach out to you? Absolutely. Can they, can they talk to you. Bring them. Awesome. Awesome. Make, make where, it quick. Where can people <laughs> where, where can people find you at? Uh, what's y'all's website? www.engage-m.com or disengagemobilize.com. Engage uh, but obviously, okay. just check us out on LinkedIn. My my last name Rachinsky is pretty easy to. Pretty easy to search. I think there's, oh, just my family. <laughs> it's pretty pretty easy to search, but it's not pretty easy to spell. spell so we'll include a link in the show notes to your website and to your LinkedIn. So yeah, if you're an investor that's interested in, in talking to Rob, reach out to him. Or if you're someone that's interested in taking a look and getting a demo from his product, reach out to him. Rob, appreciate you coming on the show, man. It's yeah. great talking to you. Thank you so much. And Jeremy, awesome. thanks for co-hosting another episode. My pleasure. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Come, 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 come.